The Start On Demand. On demand. Hank Azaria has apologized for his portrayal of the character Apu on The Simpsons. We spoke today and had a wonderful conversation with Sachit Mera from East India Company to get his take on Apu. COVID-19 cases are growing in the 10 to 19 age bracket. Should teachers be prioritized for vaccination? We'll speak to the Manitoba Teacher Society. And we also had a lot of fun today talking about bad haircuts and hair mishaps. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, April 14th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb is back in the saddle. Hello there, Loren. How are you? Oh, functioning on solid three hours of sleep. So that's three straight in a row is how I'm selling it. You know how we're selling the snow is positive because it's moisture that we need? Yeah. Well, I had three total hours of sleep last night, but three in a row is very good for me. Okay. That's nine hours total. That's pretty good. No, just three. Like just three hours total. (laughs) Three times three. Three three days over? Are we looking at three days over? Three times three, nine. Just trying anyway, to be positive, Lorraine. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to do it too. I'm good. I'm back. Here we are. Carry on, my wayward son. <laughs> all right. All right. And Mackling, <laughs> you've got everything figured out after yesterday. We had a couple of technical glitches yesterday. No, all things uh, considered, pretty good start to the day. I realized I didn't have any tea yesterday. So that might be responsible for some of the technical difficulties because it means I'm just not operating at top level when I don't get my tea in the morning. So I've already had two cups. So let's get this thing rocking and rolling. All right. Well, hey, the, one of the headlines that we'll be discussing today at globalnews.ca has to do with moms. And it's uh, COVID-19 stress, moms taking on more during the pandemic and how when mom's mental wellness is suffering, it can impact the entire family. So we're going to talk about that uh, in more detail later on at 8.07. And uh, Lorena, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, uh, but, uh, you know, moms and anxiety, is that uh, something that you can perhaps relate to at all? Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I think I think we can all relate to that whole feeling when you're trying to even just sleep, as I just mentioned, that I'm struggling with the sleep. You know, your mind is racing all the time and you go into these highs and lows. I think we're all kind of there in this wave. And I don't want to use wave as in the pandemic wave of cases, but this wave of feeling good and you're, you've got this. And then sometimes you have a low point and you don't feel like you have this. And so that's part of it for sure. I don't want to point that it's moms more so than dads. You know, I think that it's different from family to family, although there's a growing body of research that women, particularly moms, have been a harder hit in this pandemic. And so we'll share more of the data behind that. There's been huge jumps in depression and anxiety seen in moms in this study out of Alberta. And they've been studying moms for years, the same group of moms. And so they have some longitudinal evidence that goes towards this. But yeah, I think that uh, this, this again, is this time of year we're feeling it, Amy, because of the weather. Maybe it's where you're at with school. Maybe it's just the stresses of what's coming next. And Greg, I don't know about you for your kids, but it's it's becoming harder and harder to try to see the end game with all this. Yes, we have the vaccines, but 
And so even just talking to your kids, it's like, oh, well, maybe we'll get to do that, right? Or listen, let's get out there and enjoy ourselves because I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do this. So there's all sorts of things that are just weighing on you, I think. Yeah, well, it was almost World War III here a couple of times over the last couple of days <laughs> because now that I'm home in the morning, you know, I, I shake the kids out of bed and, and try and get them a decent start to their day where as when I was at the studio, Jackie would leave for work and trust that they were getting up. I suspect that perhaps they weren't getting up when they said they were getting up and, you know, on their tests in the offing. And so, come on, it's time to buckle down and, and get some studying done. And, you know, the attitude, I think, for a lot of kids on the days or the parts of the days when they aren't in school is the fact, oh, it's sort of some time off. And who can really blame them? Uh, it's early enough that I can say that out loud without uh, fear of them hearing me say it. So it's difficult on a lot of fronts. And for a long time, we know that mom's health uh, has had a, a dramatic impact, obviously, on the family, but also when you are sort of the head of household for so many things, Loren, heart health. I know in the research that that we did over the years for the health report on women's heart health, so often one of the leading causes of women not getting treated for heart issues was this notion, I can't be sick. I have to look after the rest of the family. And that has had a for decades a negative impact on women's health overall. So um, I think it's a good thing we're bringing this to light this morning. And I do wonder, you know, gender aside, man, woman, dad versus mom. I think in many households, there's a lot of growing division of uh, chores or jobs. And I think we're getting it better every, all the time, but making sure it's sure. more equitable. But I do wonder if there is, and this may be speaking for my situation, if the list of things, not just that I maybe do, but that I worry about and think about and stress about and plan for might be longer or linger longer with me versus my husband. We need you to tell us a story at 204-780-6868 about a bad haircut you got, or maybe it was a bad dye job, or maybe you tried to do it yourself and you blew it, or maybe somebody cut your ear instead of your hair. I don't know. Tell us a story. I'll start us off in my early 20s. Tried to do the frosted tips thing. Wanted no. to look like the boy bands. No. But I left the dye in too long, so I scorched the tips, and I frosted the roots, so I looked like a chicken. <laughs> so there's my story. <laughs> oh, the frosted I, tips is glorious. Yeah, I looked like an idiot. Uh, what about you, Loren? Oh, I, I haven't. So I had a terrible spiral perm when I was in grade seven. I begged my mom for it, and I've um, rude the day I did because it lasted for three years. My hair's so thick that it just took forever for the perm to go away. But I've had more hair accidents. Two different things have happened. Uh, one was I went to New York uh, City with some girlfriends about 15 years ago and we were at a um, friend of a friend's house and somehow like one of those big citronella candles we blew out you know that you keep outside yeah. somehow I don't know how someone was carrying it and all the wax sloshed all over my head and so <laughs> it, you can't believe how incredibly greasy that is the wax from a candle and so it lasts it, it my hair was greasy in my first trip to New York City for like the entire week and then a couple years later I was in uh, got sent over to cover something a story, a royal wedding, Charles and Camilla in England, and met up with some girlfriends in Spain, and I plugged in my hair straightener, 
and the voltage obviously doesn't match and it had it like on crazy high heat and I singed the entire top of my hair while on a European vacation, which, you know, if you're over there to try to just have some fun, that's not attracting a lot of people. So <laughs> basically every time I go on a trip, I try not to, I try to not do my hair and hope for the best. Uh, Boitress, what about you? I got a straight razor shave one time. I was in, um, when I was working in Drayton Valley, and uh, there was this nice woman there, and she goes, oh, I'll give you, and she, ha- she ran a little bit of a, a little salon in her basement. And she said, I'll give you a straight razor shave. I'd never had anything like that before. I said, yeah, why not? Well, I, I don't know how many times she had actually done a straight razor shave, but she hacked me up like you have no idea. And I was getting more and more nervous <laughs> as she was getting closer and closer to, like, my jugular. And uh, it's like, oh, you just cut my upper lip. Oh, that's that's no problem. Just put a little bit of uh, toilet paper on there. And uh, you just cut my cheek. Oh, we'll just, yeah, let's put a little toilet paper on there. No big deal. And then I just got increasingly nervous. I was just like, I was just holding on to the sides with all dear life. And she was such a nice lady. I didn't want to say anything, but I was scared and I never went back, ever. Well, yeah, why would you? That's crazy. <laughs> it was nuts. You can't wield one of those razors if you don't know what you're doing. It's a deadly weapon. I've asked my barber for a straight a straight shave before, and he just would, flat out wouldn't do it. He said my skin wasn't rough enough. I, I've had one before. And I, actually, I've had two in my life. The second one was fantastic. Okay. Jeff yeah. Braun. A friend of mine once offered to cut my hair, and she did it with such conviction that I assumed she had done it before, so I let her. And <laughs> it turns out she didn't have any of the equipment. She had, like, little, like, fingernail scissors. It took her two hours to give me, like, the basic, like, little Mennonite uh, bean shave kind of a cut. And <laughs> it ended up looking okay, but it just it just took, like, it was like the whole Friday night. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go home and go to bed now. That It took all night to cut my hair. It was really weird, but yeah, it worked out, and it didn't cost me anything. So, all in all, I guess that one worked out. Mackling. Well, I, I'm a man of conviction, and I stand by my decisions uh, in my life. And so when I was 16, I decided to go, you know, the mullet route. I had very long hair in the back, and then the spiked look on top and a little bit shorter on the sides. And I showed up at work one day. It was my first day, or my first job, rather, my first day with this haircut. And it was actually picture day at school that day, so I must have been in grade 11, and my boss pulls me aside. He says, you can't go on the floor looking like that. I said, what are you talking about? Look at everybody. Look at all. He goes, those are all women. I said, what's your point? I was very, very upset with the fact that essentially he was calling my haircut a women's haircut. And then uh, one of my buddies uh, tried to help me out a little bit. And I actually, I went back out. He says, if you come back out here looking like that one more time, you might as well go home. So I went back. I got changed and I walked out and I never came back. (laughs) So a haircut and my conviction to what was, in retrospect, a bad haircut and a bad look uh, cost me my very first job. And Forte? Uh, Well, you know, I'm going to go with Team Mullet. So when I was a kid. Team uh, Mullet? Yeah, why not? Uh, My... My mom, of course, loved my hair. She, you know, I got this really, really curly hair, and you couldn't tell it was a mullet up until I got it wet, and it'd go down my back, and it was crazy. Every time I went for swimming lessons, like, it was so short in the front and then super long in the back. It was, it was crazy. Uh, but there was this one time when uh, my buddy, Jay, he was uh, sleeping in my basement, and it was so dark down there, I couldn't see him, so I, I have my lighter, and I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him with my lighter, and I turn on my lighter right away, and of course, there he was, right there, and I burnt his hair. 
Oh. Oh, and it stunk. <laughs> Burning hair is the worst thing ever. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. We start this hour with calls to change. Calls to change the priority system for vaccines are growing louder this morning. Yeah, with transit operators, police officers, even the city's critical infrastructure personnel wondering where they sit in the queue. Just yesterday, Mayor Brian Bowman once again asked the province to consider a strategy that goes beyond age. Essentially, his question and concern is that 50-year-old working from home might not be as exposed as the 50-year-old bus driver and should therefore, Loren, receive priority. Yeah, the frontline workers, you know, in that age category. And we've had this chat before. Like, am I under the same level of exposure as the person the same age as me at the grocery store, driving that bus, working as a police officer? And we know healthcare workers and people living and working long-term care were already high on the priority list. Paramedics uh, were higher up too. Police officers, though, or teachers, they're still considered part of the general public. And so that's why Brian Bowman has been weighing in, Mayor Brian Bowman, and others have been weighing in because right now vaccines essentially go by age. But here's what we learned this week. Dr. Brent Rusin saying that the fastest growing cohort of cases is in the 10 to 19 year old age group. And while he did say that the growth is not from gatherings in schools, but gathering outside schools from as far as they can tell, that age group is obviously still going into schools every single day. So James Bedford is the president of the Manitoba Teacher Society and he joins us now for more. Good morning, James. Good morning. Great to be with you. Well, we've heard growing calls and different changes across this country when it comes to the prioritization of teachers. What are you hearing from teachers when it comes to their vaccine questions? Well, I'm hearing from teachers that they're listening to public health. And I think you've you've summed up that messaging from public health. Those 10 to 19-year-olds make up a large group of the students who are in our schools. And and even if the infections aren't occurring in schools, uh, there's a very, very good chance that they're coming into schools infected. And, you know, our our members are 25 to, to 60, and public health is telling them they're at a greater risk now with these variants of concern. Is there any dialogue on this with the province? No, there isn't. We've had uh, two emails just in the last week uh, from school. One of the schools that my that one of my kids attends, James, and a uh, total of uh, three infections in the school. What are we seeing in other provinces when it comes to teachers? Because clearly, this is this has got to be a concern for them. It, it, it's a very, very high concern. Um, you know, if, if we were in New Brunswick, Quebec, Ontario, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, there would be a plan. Uh, and in many of those jurisdictions, vaccinations are already underway. And, you know, you look at the populations in those provinces, that, that's the majority of, of provinces. One thing that, that I've heard ask, and I understand this because my background is as a science teacher, is what's different about public health in those provinces than public health in Manitoba? Because public health is in large part based on science. To be fair, I believe in Ontario, for example, James, it was just in the last couple of weeks that teachers were added to that list, and that was 
result of a number of things. The case counts were climbing and there was growing concern and, and there was also some public pressure. So is that pressure being put on the province when you say there's been no dialogue? What kind of conversations are you trying to have with officials to try to make this happen? Well, we're trying to ask those questions about what's different in Manitoba than those other provinces. Um, you are correct. Uh, the the real um, effort in Ontario is, is, is a few weeks old. The plan's been there for quite some time, but the needles are going into arms right now. But they're also there because of the variance of concern. They are targeting the regions in Ontario where there is major concern. And the, the situation is certainly not unique in Manitoba. Uh, teachers, all school staffs have been working very, very hard to keep public schools open this year. It's deemed a priority. Uh, we care deeply about our students. We know the best education occurs in schools. And we really don't want to be in a situation where schools have to be closed. Vaccination of education workers would be something that would be proactive in order to keep those schools open for the remainder of the school year. James, we only have about 60 seconds left, but this conversation about one of the more immediate concerns, vaccines, comes as the province is announcing that it's looking for feedback from the public on how to move forward with its plans to reform the province's education system. So what are your thoughts on their plans to essentially launch a review of their own review? Well, the, the, the initial review uh, that, that was done for the K-12 education review was extraordinarily extensive. They traveled across the province. The problem is, is that a lot of those uh, recommendations don't translate into Bill 64. And uh, I, I'm not sure what else is to be learned, particularly when the throes of, of a pandemic. James Bedford, president of the Manitoba Teachers Society, joining us live on 680 CJOB. James, thank you for the time, sir. Much appreciated. We deeply appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks very much. We're asking you this morning to send us a story about bad haircuts for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Seeing a lot of good stories here. Loren, any jumping out at you this morning? I think the problem is that it's the perm. And a perm can look good on a lot of people. Do not get me wrong. It's when mom or grandma or other decides to, you know, like, you're voluntold to go get the perm. And so we had a great picture from Graham this morning who shared with us how his grandma said he could get a transformer if he just went and got a perm and he was seven years old and I'm just trying to find the picture. I, I hope Graham would let us share this with others, but he said he he was ridiculed for it for years and to the point where he wouldn't even let his grandma po- put the picture on the wall and he never got the transformer. Ah! So the deal was you go get the, tra- you get the perm, you can get the transformer and guess what? There was a no-go. So yeah, I'm going to need to see if Graham will be letting us share this photo because I think he looks great. That's horrible to not get the Transformer. Also, by the way, Backling, I don't know if you saw this the other day, but uh, for $700 US, you can now buy uh, an Optimus Prime that transforms himself and he talks to you. And I kind of wish I had seven hundred dollars U.S. Uh, seven hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, Sounds does like it a also good deal like do the house cleaning? <laughs> is it all Roomba? Like a like a transforming so Roomba that, that also vacuums? <laughs> seven hundred dollars. Just look it up. It looks really neat. So the first name is more with a T H than a T. 
Nitu. Nitu. And the last name is more with a U-H than an A. It's Garcha. Garcha. Nitu Garcha. That was Global BC reporter Nitu Garcha sharing how to pronounce her name. Yeah, really cool thing that she's done. She's put that pronouncer out because, as she says, she's been pronouncing her own name wrong most of her life. And she's decided that should stop. And I think her decision has really launched an important conversation right across this country. Hi and happy Vasaki. I'm Nitu Garcha. I know you might be thinking, wait, what? You're who? I thought you were Nitu Garcha. Let me explain. This is how my name is spelled, but there is a right way to say it. Nitu Garcha is the authentic Punjabi pronunciation that my parents gave me rather than Nitu Garcha. Like so many, I created the latter anglicized version during my childhood, much of which was spent just trying to fit in. This has been a source of inner conflict for me for a long time until now. I've made the decision to stop anglicizing my name. It is from now on across the board only Nitu Garcha, a name comprised of letters from the Punjabi alphabet. It, like my name, Nitu Garcha, contains sounds that just don't exist in the English language. So I know it's not an easy switch to make, but I do appreciate the effort and I hope others feel inspired to honor their true self, heritage and identity. Thank you so much for being a part of this change. Brett, this has to warm your heart. Because when we speak with Dr. Raymond Abdulrahman, he is always so impressed with the way you pronounce his name and has, in fact, given you a shout out, I think, on even on other media outlets without naming you, the effort that you've gone to. And I think this speaks to something. I think there are, are many listeners who can look back either in recent history or even going way back at their own family history and some of the names that have been anglicized in order to, quote unquote, fit in. I think this is a tremendous sign that more and more people are feeling comfortable and plain and simply being who they are. Even in this industry, Loren, if you were a broadcaster, there was a lot of pressure for you to change your name in order for you to have a name that was easy to say, easy to remember. It was maybe all about marketing in the, in the end. It certainly might have been the way... Uh decades ago and I think now what we're seeing is this push to really embrace our identities and make sure that people treat it the same way Brett so the same way that you have worked so hard to try to say names I was even thinking this morning listening to you doing the school closures and Notre Dame de Lourdes to put her Notre Dame which is why you know the way many of us have done things in part because maybe we were embarrassed to make the effort to try to do things properly or we just don't know how or we've just decided that it's acceptable to do it that way and I think this is super cool what she's doing and yeah like there's going to be millions of Canadians that say yeah I changed my name as a result of pressure or just to make it easier enough others rather than getting others to say hey let me walk you through it it's uh, it's simple right and i also like that she acknowledged that there are sounds in her name that don't exist in english and that's why one of the reasons why i had a struggle learning how to pronounce raymond's name because the sounds that are needed to say his last name raymond abdurrahman that took me a while for me to mm-hmm. because i kept saying raymond abdurrahman Man, yeah, and, it, and he finally pulled me aside and he said, it's not a hard H. Yeah. And I think that came from my French immersion as well, because uh, that comes out from time to time in French. And uh, he, so it, it took me forever to nail it. Uh, so it's hard. It, you're basically learning a new language. But I appreciate that she is patient on it. And I also appreciate that she's done this, because as you pointed out, this is going to start a really important conversation.
Right now we want to switch gears, as promised. We want to share this report on moms and anxiety. Yeah, mothers are taking on more during the pandemic, and it's taking a toll. As Globals, Globals pardon me, Kendra Slagowski reports, when moms' mental health is suffering, it can impact the entire family. The Cathari family was used to being busy. Both parents work, their children play sports. At first, the pandemic forced them to slow down. Now, a year later... The stress is back on more so just because we've missed out on that for so long. It's more than just the extra time together. Ali Cathari has been trying to keep everyone healthy, but constantly feels the looming threat of 14-day quarantines. And I would generally... Um, put myself in the group of somebody who would be, you know, less anxious, kind of easygoing, go with the flow. Um, my anxiety has been through the roof. Researchers at the University of Calgary have been tracking thousands of Canadian mothers and their well-being for more than 10 years. This past year was exceptionally tough. Big jumps from 18% to 35% for depression and 19% to 31% for anxiety. And so we really considered these to be um, significant increases. Many of these parents experienced income loss or unemployment, childcare closures and trying to homeschool their children. All of these were immense stressors for families. Social supports dwindled too. Psychologists say it's critical more mental health care is available for mothers, especially online, and any childcare or school closure must be carefully considered. Mothers certainly are, are superheroes and can do a lot of things and take on a lot of tasks. So we don't cut them a lot of slack. Gathari has been trying to do that for herself and her family. You know what? My kids have never been on electronics as much as they have in this past year. I try not to feel the pressure of things that I said I would never do being done. <laughs> Kendra Slagowski, Global News. And this came out of a study that was done in Alberta, right, Loren? Yeah, they've actually been looking at uh, a group of moms over the past 12 years. And so it's a really long study, which is kind of neat, right? They have 3,000 Alberta moms and their kids in this study. And then, of course, the pandemic hits and things take another kind of turn. And so they saw really huge jumps in stress levels, like from 18% to 35% with depression, 19% to 31% for anxiety. And so, you know, you're nearing the, the double digit territories or doubling of those original numbers for what moms are feeling. And of course, we know women have many cases disproportionately impacted, whether it be by the job loss or the or childcare issues or, or all the combination of both during this pandemic. And I think one of the things that stuck out for me to this story, and I think this is something moms and dads and everyone can relate to, Greg, is the idea of not knowing, A, what would happen if, say, someone in your family gets a COVID diagnosis, then you're all quarantining now, right? And so if it's that variant, that could be up to 24 days. And I remember going for a test a few weeks ago and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, it wasn't just about wanting to be negative just for the sake of health, but I don't, keeping everybody home for two weeks is just that overwhelming stress on you again. And then that, when you hear other provinces like Ontario moving to remote learning indefinitely for the foreseeable future, it puts a little... Uh, catches your breath catches because you think please do not let that happen here and I know your boys are are home a lot just because of the high school situation but those are the two things that add to the stress for me no question about it we just had friends that went through that 14-day quarantine period and they had someone in their circle and their family that was a close contact to someone who had contracted COVID-19 so they were asked to stay home and to quarantine for 14 days and 
I had shared some text messages with my buddy and he said, thank goodness the weather is nice because I don't know how I would handle this any other way. We love our kids. We love our families. But part of the way our lives are structured is that we get a little bit of a break from them every once in a while. And uh, two weeks, it's one thing when you're on vacation. And uh, if you've ever been on a family vacation, you know that's struggle enough to keep the peace while you're uh, maybe meandering across North America in the old station wagon going to uh, to Disneyland or points in between. Never mind being home for two straight weeks, Brett, all by yourself. And, with uh, no with, options uh, on the very table. Very limited you, options, right? Yeah, you're just stuck in that house and you can go out into your backyard, but you're not supposed to be going out for walks or hikes. There's all sorts of rules and restrictions around those self-isolation. So that's one of the things that stuck out. What, what am I going to oh, do? Oh, boy. I, I was negative, so that's great. But that was part of the thing. Please do not let me have to go through this for two weeks. I don't know if I have enough things to cook and or activities to keep us going. I would, uh, yeah, like I've got my apartment, so I would just, I guess I'd have my balcony and that's it. And that I would lose. I, I always forget about that, the, the, the notion that what if I do have to self-isolate for 14 days? What floor are you on again? Could we come and like yell at you from a distance? Yeah, I'm on the 16th floor. So you should be able to yell at me from the... Or like a tossing game? Oh. Like catch things in a basket down below? <laughs> oh, like so I throw balls. things down at you? Yeah. <laughs> Just like a, we could come up with some activities to keep you sane. I think yelling up to you would be like the old game that used to play the hotline anybody remember the hotline where you would phone your own number to get a busy signal and then in between the busy signals you would be yelling what's your name what's your number i'll call you back you remember the hotline did you ever play that no 780-6868 i know some of you did I was thinking about it the other day. I'm not exactly sure why. I think I was getting repeated busy signals when I was trying to get a hold of my Baba. And, uh, of course, it just, on the cell phone, just goes, call her busy, unavailable at this time. And it's not very much an adventure anymore. It just, you know, just gives you the big X on your phone. So the hotline, who remembers that? Let us know at 204-780-6868. And you can read more on the moms and the anxiety that they're feeling at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. We have shared that story to our 680 CJOB Instagram story if you want to find it there. And I just want to read this text from Tony on the subject of bad haircuts. Tony says, when I was in school, I was not very popular. Many days where I did not want to go because of bullying. One day in grade 10, my mom decided that my flat hair could use some body in it. Bring out the home perm. It was, according to mom, a gentle perm and would give it a little lift. She ended up leaving it in for double the recommended time. The end result was a full-blown head of very tight curly hair. I looked like my finger was in an electrical (laughs) socket. Heading to school was absolutely more miserable. I think you can all imagine how much worse it was. That was in the winter. I also had to wear my mom's big blue down-fitted jacket to school then as well for a few days as mine was broken. Not a huge issue, except that her name, Bev, was on the tag on the left breast. To this very day, I keep reminding my mom about this. (laughs) Ah, Tony. Tony. My mom bought me uh, women's jeans once. I wore them for two solid months before my friends realized and pointed it out. And not 
just pointed it out to me, but pointed out to every single person in grade five, six, oh, no. and seven. Oh, what difference does it make now with clothes, right? I mean, it should. It's so nice. It's that, not now, Loren. It was, I know this is ancient history. It was nineteen eighty. Michael Scott had that happen to him. He wore a woman's suit, pantsuit to work. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we've got three minutes and three text messages. The two runners, we've got a podium. The podium finish here for the San Lucia Pizza gift card, $20 worth. Haircut stories, bad haircut stories, or hair mishaps. George in Arizona listening in Mesa, Arizona. Here's the bronze medal text. My wife was in her second year of beauty school, which meant hair dyeing. She had her styrofoam heads to practice, but as she was quite a bit older than the other students, she could not find a partner to dye their hair. Needless to say, I was volunteered. Well, for the next month I went to work. I am a software engineer with multiple different colors of hair. One attempt at blonde left my hair orange. A fellow at my work even made a poem about me. Started with, he showed up with orange hair. We wondered, is he all there? My wife finally perfected hair dye and graduated. However, I am still reminded of this at work. Great story, George. And good for you for taking it for the team for your wife. Oh, so did this uh, next listener who said, well, actually, her husband, I guess, took it for the team. She says, my husband's hair had gotten long and shaggy, and we were heading out for a very hot weekend at the lake. He asked me to bring the clippers along because he wanted me to shave most of it off. So before I got to the task, I was looking at the poor dog just dying in the heat and decided to buzz off some of his hair. Long story short, the dog got a nice cut, but the clippers died exactly halfway through my husband's cut. He failed to see the humor and spent the rest of the weekend under a hat. The dog and I, on the other hand, just laughed and laughed. That is good. I like it. Uh, that's boy, oh great. boy. This is like a photo finish, isn't it, Brett? Yeah, this was close. We just got that one a couple of minutes ago, and I thought, oh, is this our winner? But I think, uh, well, you take it away, Greg. Yeah, Jeanette says, years and years ago when we had freshy days in our high school, friendly hazing, to welcome grade niners to high school, the theme one year was happy days. My cousin and I decided that her younger sister, a grade niner, would go dressed up as the fawn. So we greased up her long black hair with good old Vaseline using almost half a jar to slick down her hair. We had no idea of its water repellent properties. It took that poor girl weeks and bottles of shampoo to finally wash all that grease out of her hair. And her mom was none too happy with us either. Jeanette, you are our winner today. I told the story of getting the candle wax in my hair and it was days and days of greasiness. I can't even imagine applying... Vaseline, yes, Jeanette, that's a great story. Congratulations, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza, coming your way. Thanks to all for all of your amazing stories today. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Actor Hank Azaria has apologized to, quote, to every single Indian person, end quote, for his portrayal of the character Apu in The Simpsons. This from The Guardian. Azaria, who is white, voiced the role of the Indian-American shopkeeper from the show's inception in 1989, but stood down last year amid criticism of racial stereotyping. He said he was willing to be held accountable for its negative consequences. Speaking on Monday on the Armchair Expert podcast hosted by 
actors Dax Shepard and Monica Padman, who is Indian-American, Azaria, 56 years old, said that though he believed the show was founded on good intentions, it contributed to the, quote, structural racism in the United States. He said that it had also taken him some time to realize that his portrayal of Apu Nahasa Pima Pentalon was offensive to the Indian American community. I really didn't know any better, he said. I didn't think about it. I was unaware of how much negative and relative damage I had received in this country as a white, pardon me, privilege and relative advantage I had received in this country as a white kid from the Queens. Just because there were good intentions, it doesn't mean there weren't real negative consequences to the thing that I am accountable for. Yeah, and then Azaria went on to say to Padman, I really do apologize. I know you weren't asking for that, but it's important. I apologize for my part in creating that and participating in that. And part of me feels, he said, I need to go around to every single Indian person in this country and personally apologize. So this character actually came under close scrutiny in 2017. There was a documentary, The Problem with Apu, made by Indian-American comedian Hari Kondabolu. And it looked at how Western culture depicts Southeast Asian communities. Sachit Mehra is a regular contributor to conversations on many fronts that we have here on 680 CJOB. And of course, his family has been entrenched in the restaurant business since the late 1960s. We want to wish him good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? We're good. I have a question about uh, the restaurant first, but I, we've been having a really important sure. conversation this morning about names and pronunciations and how they sometimes do get anglicized whether when, over the years for whatever reason. So I, I want to make sure, are we pronouncing your name co- correctly or has had has it had some alterations in the years in winnipeg you know it, it's funny so my name is pronounced Sachet, and uh you know i also went to french immersion school and en francais it's sachet so it gets changed a little bit there but all my friends call me satch please call me satch it's fine Perfect. I, I like Satch. We'll do that. The East Indian Company Pub and Eatery it actually started out as something else altogether 50 years ago. What, what was it? So we actually started in the late uh, 60s and, you know, formally kicked off with Mara's uh, in, the, in the 70s, in the very early 70s. And, you know, uh, my dad and my mom and my grandma uh, had a full run deli. Um, doing Montreal smoked meats and uh, corned beef sandwiches, uh, you know, repletes with sauerkraut and uh, Swiss cheese and, you know, how to shave the meat just right. Uh, That was what the business was back then because, uh, you know, Indian food or South Asian food and cuisine, if you will, uh, just wasn't uh, a thing back then. And, you know, I often, you know, talk about, you know, South Asian culture and food and something, you know, people say, well, you sell Indian food. That's what you do. And I said, no, actually, what we do is we talk about um, really educating and informing people and introducing people um, to our culture and our cuisine. Because the second you do that, um, they get an interest. And once they have an interest, they get an appreciation. You know, this is really good. This tastes great. The aroma is fantastic. The spices are wonderful. It's really healthy for me. And once they have that appreciation, then they can assign a value. And once they assign a value, that's when we can charge for it. So it, it really is first about an education, an introduction, an awareness. And then you get to the point where 
you know, you're actually charging for it. And, you know, it's been 30, me personally, it's been 30 years of being in this business and, you know, really kind of introducing people to the culture and the cuisine. But you're right. When we first started off, it was all about delis and all about, uh, all about sandwiches and salads and things like that. And it wasn't until 2000, uh, 2001, I want to say, uh, which was our first menu ever. Um, that was uh, printed that did not have a sandwich on it, where we actually became a full-fledged, uh, if you will, Indian restaurant. And it was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a moment for us all as we kind of looked at this and we finally took the sandwiches off our menu. Sat, you and I are essentially the same vintage. You were born and raised here. Love our city for all its gifts and warts, as I do. Yesterday, you told me you speak four different languages. Uh, which four, if you can share with our audience, and please share with us your memories of lunch breaks and what was in your lunchbox and the interest it created and the role you played in maybe being an ambassador for for your community overall uh, back in your school days, teaching your fellow students and your friends about your cultural celebrations? So, you know, as, as you said, and for sure, you know, I'm a born and raised and proud uh, Winnipegger. Uh, you know, it's a fantastic city. It's a fantastic province and, and, and country, and it's really given us everything. And, you know, we've enjoyed every second uh, being, a, being a part of it. You know, I grew up, uh, our family was in the Winnipeg core, right? Uh, uh, I grew up on 777 Winnipeg Avenue. Our first business was on McDermott. And the school was uh, a Sacred Kirk. And so my grandma uh, was, you know, a very typical, strong Punjabi lady. So at home with her, she insisted uh, that, uh, you know, when speaking with her, it was always in, in, in Punjabi. And of course, her, you know, her, ang- her English was a little uh, poor at the time. So there's lots of Punjabi there. And with mom and dad, it was always in, in Hindi. And of course, I think we all got a bit of education uh, in English from the television. And so, you know, episodes of Night Rider helped with that, I guess. And, you know, uh, but school uh, for eight hours a day was French immersion. C'était complètement français pendant huit heures, and uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was fantastic, and you know, it's funny. You know, growing up in that context, uh, you know, you never felt that it was any different or anything. It's just what you did, and you know, you, you picked up you picked up a language. And it was kind of funny because I do recall in grade four or five, uh, you know, the, the teachers actually held me for about half an hour uh, after class because they wanted to strengthen my English because there was so many, so much of the other languages happening uh, that I needed additional uh, English tutoring. So, uh, you know, it just goes to show how much else there was uh, as well. Uh, growing up, um, really, our family was, you know, and there was just a handful of them. So they were really a vanguard of South Asian families in Winnipeg at that time and um, you know, in the 70s and the late 60s uh, growing up. So, you know, school was, was always fascinating. And I think it was for uh, every immigrant community uh, that, that came to, uh, to Canada and, and certainly here in Winnipeg, you know, whether they're Ukrainian or Filipino or, you know, you name it, or you know, Italian, uh, you know, you always had uh, different food in the lunchbox that was, you know, not necessarily uh, the norm. And, you know, I would be filled with uh, parantas, which are, stuffed bread, either with cauliflower or homemade cheese, 
um, you know, it was uh, it was it was very very different. People would always be curious, and of course, I was more curious in uh, you know the next person's food roll up. Uh, but certainly, they'd be more interested in what was in my box. And I, I recall one day coming uh, coming back to the restaurant, which is just down the street from the school. And my grandma was there, and you know, you know, we had a, we had a modest upbringing, and it was good. And you know, back then, the big thing was Domino's Pizza, right? And we we really wanted a Domino's Pizza. And I said to my grandma, you know, grandma, I really want Domino's Pizza. And she looked at me and she said, you know, so, uh, well, I'll make you pizza. Don't worry about it. So. You know, she takes this man bread, she puts this homemade tomato sauce on it, she put the um, uh, meat that we had, piece of tandoori chicken and whatnot, the homemade cheese on top. She lowered it into the tandoori oven, she baked it, it came out. And I looked at it with my grade six, you know, 10-year-old, 12-year-old eyes, and I kind of looked back up at her and I said, well, that's not Domino's pizza, because, of course, it was this hand-rolled, handmade thing, right? And she just looked at me and, you know, it was, I, I think back at that time, right? And, you know, what that was, you know, the love, the amazing food and culture, you know, the delicious taste of it. But, you know, as, you know, being a little bit caught in the popular culture at the time, you missed that incredible thing for, for what it was. And, you know, I always, I always think back to that moment of how amazing, uh, how amazing that, that, that homemade pizza was. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are speaking with Sachet Mara from East India Company Pub and Eatery downtown about actor Hank Azaria apologizing for his portrayal of Apu in The Simpsons. And so The Simpsons, it's the longest-running sitcom in the history of television, Satch. Roughly 700 episodes of the show, and one of the regular characters is or was Apu. He's a family man, an immigrant from West Bengal with a doctorate in computer science, runs the Quickie Mart convenience store in Springfield. What, if any impact, did his existence have on your life? So uh, personally, uh, I, I really do want to lean on the side of zero, um, you know, but that's not to say that, you know, the Simpson, which, you know, if we all recall in the early 90s um, and throughout, uh, you know, would go on to be a very popular show and had significant impact on, on popular culture um, within North America and, and, and beyond. And, you know, let's be clear right off, uh, right off the beginning, right? This was, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, a great character. This was a, uh, a, a destructive character in, in some ways, uh, and especially at a time where uh, the Simpsons uh, in popular culture could have used the character to be uh, a constructive character and uh, really start talking about different paradigms. And in, instead, you know, you had uh, at the surface, um, a bit of this humor, um, this crude humor based in, in stereotypes, uh, you know, that just didn't work for, um, you know, many people. It was unfortunate that this was, you know, one of the, the, the main South Asian characters in popular culture at the time was a cartoon character uh, based on stereotypes on, on a television show in, in the early 90s. Um, you know, was was a bit of a bit of a tougher go. Now, uh, you know, having said that, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, this show spanned 30 years. It's interesting and good to see uh, evolution in people like Hank and Zaria come out and, um, you know, give the statements that he's given because he's grown, he's seen, he's become educated, 
um, uh, to people around him, and that's positive, and I applaud that. Yeah, in the documentary, The Problem with Apu, which was uh, done by Hari Kondabolu, he talked about the fact that in the beginning when he watched that show, he was he kind of liked it because it was the only representation of his family's culture that he would see on TV. So there was the positive side to it. But then others that he spoke to in the documentary would say, well, it kind of reinforced some stereotypes. Uh, you know, one of the guys that they, they talked to said that, uh, I think it was Aziz Ansari who said that, you know, he grew up being called Apu by other kids because that was the only name that they could relate or connect it to you're saying you want to lean toward zero is there room in the conversation such that it might have had depending on who you are just would have had a different impact maybe not at all or maybe a great impact absolutely i i think for many people um there would have been a, a negative impact you can only imagine as you just referenced as even sorry that uh there would have been uh certain negative comments there would have been uh, a complete clumping of communities together uh, under banner. I'm sure there was uh, schoolyard bullying or, uh, you know, uh, uh, a water cooler uh, name calling uh, based around that that might have started in a, in a friendly jive, but really had these very uh, strong and bad undertones that were being propagated by the show under the guise of, you know, just friendly humor. But it's not. And that's what makes this stuff subversive and structural and dangerous. And so, you know, we have to be very careful. Again, I applaud Hank Gonzaga for uh, waking up and, and, and coming up to this show. And, you know, The Simpsons itself, and just to talk about that for a second, 30-year running show, um, you know, that bears a responsibility because you're starting off uh, in a certain climate and you're evolving into another climate. And, again, I applaud it for growing and, and recognizing um, and, and its place of responsibility in the world and really changing and bringing out those, you know, new tones in and through its people like Hank. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. You know, the, the Simpsons, the, the Simpsons was always a show where you had this, you know, this, this bit of a humor on the, on the surface. And, you know, you did have this commentary, um, you know, for, for the adults in the background. And, you know, there were, some positives, if you, if you will. You know, when you consider the character of Apu, he was a person that was, um, you know, a business owner, uh, would go on to be a family man, part of the community, fabric, giving back. And all of that was was positive and strong. You know, and being a business owner is not a small thing. It's, it's, it's a great thing. The unfortunate reality is that, you know, that would just be lost under the, under the stereotypes that were just being, you know, hammered every episode. Sachin Mara, East India Company Pub. Sharps, don't forget that. Sachin Mara, East India Company Pub and Eatery. Sorry, we are out of time. Thank you so much for your insight, sir. Thank you for listening to the start. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.